Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Book Off, a literary podcast with a difference, hosted by yours truly, Joe Haddo. I'm joined in the studio by two brilliant humans and writers today who are ready to shout about a book they love later on in the Book Off. But first, let's meet them. Broadcaster, performer, wearer of dapper clothes and the once-crowned million-pound poet, Murray Lachlan Young. Hello to you. Hi. <laughs> and best-selling author of fiction, YA and now short stories who's sold over 25 million books and been published in 30 languages. Cecilia Ahern, hello to you. Hello. Lovely to have you both here on our sofa. This is very relaxing. I think I think we were already at, at ease just because we're sort of in a living room environment. Now. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you both. Might have for... a little lie down. <laughs> yes, well, you, by all means, there's cushions. <laughs> I need a little lie down after hearing how many books you've sold. <laughs> <laughs> you can both take it in turns just to you know, use the middle <laughs> bit. Thank you both for braving the awful weather and heading into our little studio today. It's turning. I would say. It is. And autumn is here. Are you fans of, of the season? I definitely love this time of year. It's beautiful. <laughs> I love autumn. Yeah. Do you? I think I, I thought you would. I don't know why. I sort of had a it's because you can get those big old coats out that you have, you know, those lovely long <laughs> coats that I see you in. Have you been following me around? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> now later on, as I said, we're gonna do the book off, but I want to talk about both of your new books. Murray, you've just published a well, a, a book written entirely in verse. Yeah. Um, which is the mystery of Rattlesham Mumps. So tell us a little bit about this. Well, it's a 6,000-word verse poem, iambic pentameter, and uh, ballad form, I guess. And, uh, and it, uh, it, it's the, I suppose it's, its defining principle would be um, even rich kids get the blues, and it's about a seven-year-old boy who inherits an enormous house on the double funeral of his parents, and uh, he goes back into this, this place and finds himself alone with a hundred-year-old butler, and the butler takes him through to the Great Hall and gestures to all of the uh, portraits of 300 years of his ancestors and says, isn't it strange how they all died in such peculiar circumstances? And then he tells him of the deaths of each one of uh, his ancestors, and uh, it kind of runs from there. But I won't tell you any more than that. And Cecilia, you've just published Raw, yes. which is a collection of sh short stories. So this is your first for you, right? Yes, it's my first collection. There are 30 stories about 30 women. Each title is The Woman Who, blah, blah, blah. And they're very different women, 
diverse backgrounds, but I think the thing they all have in common is that it's a transitional, pivotal moment in their life. So they're kind of sitting down, having a conversation with themselves, recognising that something's not right in life and they want to bring out that inner war and make a change. So they're surreal, they're very quirky and Mm. whimsical, but at the heart of them, they're very grounded, everyday women's issues that we don't perhaps always talk about, but... um, but that I'm blabbing about. <laughs> <laughs> and and you don't name any of them, do you? In, no, in I just, yeah, I wanted to break the rules in this book. Um, not that there ever are rules, but I certainly really, jo- I just, I had so much fun. Every title is based on an expression, a phrase, a metaphor, you know, an idiom that we're so familiar with. And then I kind of make it literal. And, um, and the women have no names because they're every woman, they're all of us. And I wanted everyone to feel like it could be them it could be someone they know and I just had fun with it yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it comes across that you did as well and I did I there's played there's a lot of humour in the story <laughs> and you played I was exactly. playing yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I imagine the process for you Murray for this book was was fun enjoyable as well especially with your collaboration um, with the illustrator Yes, Julie Verhoeven, who's kind of a famous fashion illustrator. And um, a few years ago, I was commissioned by the Sunday Times to write a piece of verse on women's fashion. And uh, Julie illustrated it. And I recognised the name and realised that Julie had been brought up two doors along on the same street from me and I'd known her since I was six months old and so we reconnected and and I'm a huge fan of her of her um, illustrations and and the book has 52 um, original illustrations from her um, which I feel hugely privileged uh, to be associated with and so so that was that was one part of it and and the other part was was the writing which I, I set off on on the idea of writing this piece and gave up and uh, and by chance showed it to somebody um, and she said to me, you should really finish this because it's really good. And all I needed was a little bit of love and a pat on the back <laughs> and I was off again. It's all again. we need. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's incredible that you grew up a couple of doors apart. Though. She was always really good at drawing as well. <laughs> I remember being jealous of her drawing when I was about, she started about six years old and I remember looking at it and thinking, how can somebody draw that well? And I was looking at my little sort of scratchy drawings and, and it's all come round. Absolutely. Yeah. Cecilia, have these stories been written over years? Have you just had them in drawers and things and brought them together or did you write them very specifically for this for this collection? Um, I wrote the first story five years ago and at the time I just thought I was writing one story but then after about five I realised they were thematically linked and that um, I couldn't separate them and I wanted to to keep them together and I realised I had a collection on my hands so I, start, I kept adding to them as the years went by uh, during novels, after novels, between novels and it, 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 this... Uh, Every novel is a passion project, of course, because it's you put your own your heart and soul into mm. it. But this has felt like a major passion project because it was kind of a, a secret thing for myself, you know, with no deadline, no book deal, nothing, just something that I was compelled to write. You know, the stories would just take over, and I yeah. and and it felt like such a release after I finished every story. It was like I'd gotten something off my chest, or yeah, so it was really it was an amazing therapy, a five year long therapy session. So did you get to thirty, the thirtieth story, and think? That's it now. No, what happened? I ha- I probably had about forty, um, not completely written, but mm-hmm. um, you know, notes made, and I would always email myself with them ideas. When I got to fifteen, I think I thought that I want to I want to put a collection together, but there were ten more that I hadn't written yet. So I spent the next year just 
you know, writing down those 10 before I forgot them. But 15, I realised, well, there's a lot of material there that that belongs together. I don't want to be splitting them up yeah. um, and ruining you know, they're a little family. <laughs> I don't want to break up the belong family. Together, yeah. They belong together, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> In a moment, I want to ask you about the reception of, of them with different audiences. But before that, you, I had this conversation with, with someone who I won't name quite recently, which turned into a sort of debate, which then turned into a sort of argument, mm-hmm. where um, they were claiming, if you can write, if you're a writer, you just write. Mm. doesn't matter what form. And I said, that's absolutely untrue. And I think that every f- form requires different skills and a different person. And just because you can write a novel doesn't mean you can write a play. I'm not saying you can't. Mm. And I just wondered, as, as a poet, Murray, and, and as a novelist, Cecilia, who's now written short stories and now you've written a verse novel, how did you find sort of changing what is what I suppose is your known craft and doing something a bit different? Well, I would agree. I think that they are very different skill sets. Um, I cannot write nonfiction. Uh, I, even though I have a degree in journalism, I always go to the to the what if you know I want to write about you know from a different perspective and write fictional characters and I cannot if someone said write 500 words on what's happening in this room I just cannot do it I need to kind of step outside and and always ask that question what if um I certainly couldn't write poetry I have written a play and I do write screenplays and I write my novels but I've been for example asked to adapt my novels into a screenplay and I don't and can't yet I can write an original screenplay mm, yeah. so I think I think in a way every story has its own has its own way that that it should be told so these short stories were meant to be short stories the novels that I write are meant to be novels yeah and, and that's I suppose you just have to feel your way through the story what's the best way to tell it mm. Mm. well I'm, I'm the same uh, write screenplays as well and uh, I wouldn't want to write the screenplay of this book that I've just, uh, this poem, but lots of people are saying you've got to do this as a screenplay, but it won't be for me to do it, mm. I don't think. So I can, I can blame somebody for, <laughs> for doing a bad job on it later on, don't I? Rather, than, rather than ruin it myself, you know, I'll leave it to someone else to do it. But I think I, mean, I also write um, song lyrics as well, which is another, it's a hugely different thing. Very. It's about the condensing, further condensing of, of, of language and uh, and also the interaction with a, with a melody, a top line as well. And I think that despite the fact that there are techniques associated with all these different forms of writing, and of course if one studies them, then, then obviously as a writer you can have a stab at it and a go at it, but then of course there are masters within their, their fields. And uh, um, I would never consider myself to be a master um, screenwriter. I know master screenwriters and, and that's what they do they do it all the time and they've been doing most of them been doing it for a long time and they've made all the mistakes um, and I feel that with writing verse I've made a lot of the mistakes and there's a lot of things that I just don't have to deal with because I know and because I've done my 10,000 hours of writing it and but I think uh, at the bottom end of the whole thing I just love it I think in verse. I dream in verse. You know, all the all the all of the stuff in this book is is what I'm it's what I'm into. I'm into the sort of dark mythical fairy mm. tales, and I'm into uh, rhyming verse, and I'm into that sort of old fashioned Edwardian wit as well. And uh, and so, I think it's it's really the thing. There's a there's a thing that takes hold of you, and mm. you can be a polymath, of course. But uh, I think at the bottom of it, there's usually your first love. 
That's so interesting. You you saying that you sort of think and dream in verse. That's quite mm. that's quite a lovely image. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm intrigued as to what's in the mind. Well, I'll start writing something, and it'll just turn into verse. And I just, right. I, it's just right. I've got no I control over it at all. <laughs> and uh, it's just always the way. I, uh, I don't know why. Um, on this very podcast, um, we were talking with author Patrick Gale, and he was saying how um, you know often short stories are are viewed as as sort of something that a writer might do at the beginning of their career to, you know, just practice practice, and mm. then, you know, then they're allowed to write their novel. But actually what what we were discussing is that short stories are pretty hard, actually, mm. you know. And I wondered if you found them obviously a really good challenge, but if, if you had to really work at making them. So. Not with this collection, because I just think that the the kind of stories I was writing and, and the kind of surreal way in which I was writing them and also them being based on these metaphors and they lent themselves really well to the short story and um, because each story is a snapshot of a moment in the character's life where they're really sitting down it's just a moment I don't think I could turn an entire novel you know I couldn't write a novel out of a moment although it'd be interesting to try hmm. but I just the, just the whole premise of them was perfect for the short story and I actually became addicted to writing them <laughs> as a short story and because of the theme the woman who everywhere I looked um everything was inspiring to me it was like just a really juicy meaty um like structure to have for, for the stories i could i found inspiration everywhere so for this particular collection no i didn't find it difficult but that's not to say that short stories in you know in the future would be easier it's just as i said before it's kind of whatever the story is um it it will find its own medium yeah are there rules on short stories? I mean, the length is there? As no, well? it can be whatever. And when does it turn into a long story? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> Mine's six thousand words, and I know that. And, and the novel is obviously it can be anything from what is it sort of? I suppose a novella is probably consider a novella would be probably fifty fifty thousand right. words. Yeah, I don't know, and I don't think there should be rules either. I just, you know, and some of my titles are longer than my stories. <laughs> depends, depends how thick the book is. Yes. But then I suppose you could and use really big print. Exactly, depends yeah, yeah. on the print. Um, but some of them, you know, began with the title, and then and the title inspired the story, um, and then others were just a paragraph long because that's just what I wanted to say. Oh, right, you know? I see. Right. So, right. and I might have, you know, you know, made it longer than as I wrote, but yeah, the inspiration for them was always like it's like. Yeah, the can, you thing. Hear, can you hear the click in the in the mic? <laughs> Somebody told me once was the, the the shortest novel. Who's it? Richard Griffiths, the actor, told me this, which was um, um, yeah. for sale, baby's, baby's shoes, never worn, never worn. Yeah, okay. yeah. that was uh, Heming Hemingway. Wasn't right. It? Okay. Yeah, I think it was Hemingway. Right. Right. God. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Not imagine. a comedy. Not. Uh, no, I imagine sure. not. Yeah. No. <laughs> but actually, you you raised an interesting point, Murray. Six thousand words. Your it's. Really long it, for me. <laughs> it's very long for you, but yeah, it, just, it probably comes under a sort of short story. Bracket, I guess it does. But, yeah, yeah. But being yeah. a verse novel, it goes into its own sort of sphere. In some, I ways. suppose so, because it becomes long form verse, and it's also epic as well. So it moves, it moves from, it moves into different uh, spheres and countries. I think, which is one of the the rules of uh, um, of, of epic mm. uh, verse. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, I suppose there's, but there's a density that has to come with, I mean, which comes with all um, verse writing. So you're packing a lot more into what you're saying in verse than you would be necessarily in 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 prose. Um, and prose allows a lot more space, I think. 
Um, and so this uh, this pushes its. It, there's a lot of story in in six thousand words, mm. Is but it you're more conscious visual? that you've got to keep it moving. She, highly yeah. visual, yeah, yeah. and. Uh, and of course, it's got to, it's an exciting story as well, and and you've got to keep pushing it forward because uh, I, I think you know you can get lost in verse if it's uh, dense work unless mm. it's exciting. I think Cecilia. So I, I mentioned earlier the the I, I'm just intrigued about the audience of the book, and I know yeah. it's just been published, so it's probably hard to gauge exactly having not done loads of events yet around it. But one imagines it might be it might be obvious to say that this is a book for women. I've read the stories and love them, and I you know I feel like it could been easily written for me to enjoy as well yes so is was your idea that it was for all even though they are stories about women selfishly I write for myself so when I write yeah I'm not thinking of an audience I'm really just writing something that moves me so that's how I begin but I you know I and I always say this like a painter doesn't paint a painting and go this is a painting I've done for a woman you know no Mm. one builds a house and says I've built this house for a woman you know and when I write I'm writing hopefully to be read by people who want to read a story. So it is for everybody. I think obviously women will very much identify with it. Um, but I hope, but there are many stories that men can identify with too. Um, but as I always say, there are only men and women in this world. There are only two of us. And, um, you know, if men are open-minded and do want to understand that the the kind of quiet voice in a woman's head, quiet, not to them, loud to us, um, and understand those moments where there's conflict or, you know, and that argument that you have in your own head, then these are stories that can open your mind and make you understand a little bit more how tough women can be on women. You know, that in- internal struggle that we all have quietly in our heads. Yeah. But actually, you know, the many of these stories that are pointing out very important issues and current issues and perhaps not at the the surface because of the comedy element yeah. of them or the sort of what would you call it magical realism or something element yeah. of some of them you know like but but they are yeah. obviously they're you are whimsical. addressing things they're whimsical yeah, they? I think on the surface they seem fun um, but at the heart of them they are about serious issues um, and the other thing I really wanted to do was not, I'm not attacking men they're not a like a battle cry for it's not about blame it's not you know, women aren't saying, well, we're in this position because of you. And I really hate that kind of attitude. But they are a celebration of women, not at the expense of men. Um, and, it, and it is women recognising where they are and saying, well, I got me here. I, you know, if it's for the woman who was kept on the shelf, she climbs up on that shelf. She realises she can get herself back down again. So they are, they're empowering and they're about taking responsibility for where you are in your life. So that also will make it easier for men to read because mm. it's not a pointing the finger and saying, Look what you've done to me. It, it, they're not about that. It's it's kind of just about the the personal journey of a woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I did, I felt no pointing of fingers at all. Good, as I was and that was important it. to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so not at all. Around the Man Booker this year, I was talking to an author whose uh, book was on the shortlist, and it was a sort of verse poem novel. I didn't really know how to describe it. Uh, Robert Robinson is the author, and. Mm. Um, but it was interesting that that was on the shortlist and I've been thinking about your book, having read it recently, and just how these forms, these different forms that people are experimenting are maybe, you know, in a graphic novel was on the, the yeah, book yeah, again. Yeah. What I'm trying to do in this question, I guess, is, is sort of find out, are we in a good place in terms of poetry, verse, different different styles of writing at the moment? Are we becoming a bit more open to them? I think poetry 
was sure. I think in the same way, if you look back from the sort of musical perspective, a few years ago, folk music couldn't get arrested. You know, yeah. if you said folk and people people shuddered and ran <laughs> yeah. away. And the idea of a folk band going into a record company would just be, they'd just be laughed out of there. And then suddenly you had this new brand of sort of uh, um, this this kind of revelatory folk um, that, that came with people like Mumford and Sons and all that. So suddenly it's, it's hip and groovy and there's those people with beards doing, doing, uh, um, uh, sorry, I know you've got a beard there. Um, <laughs> but, there's, you know, it, it's become a thing. And, I'm and, quite and, folky. And, and poetry, again, <laughs> was seen, particularly live poetry or people reading outside, was seen dreadful people doing self-therapy and narcissistic self-involved people being really annoying and most of them are really awful. And, uh, and, and then you had academic poetry, which is a bunch of snobs, uh, talking to each other and so poetry was pegged as a as a, as a big uh, tent that nobody wanted to go into particularly and uh, and now the live poetry scene in the in the UK is is just exploding and it's exploding with lots of um, young female poets as well which is really exciting because it's not a it's not a boys gig you know it's yeah. not like the music industry and there isn't a sexism which which runs through it which is really good and I think that's attracting a lot of young uh, female writers and so I think live poetry is in a very healthy page a healthy place I think written poetry is expanding and this country if you go to i mean i went to a, a poetry uh, um convention in italy a couple of years ago and and this guy said to me so what do you what do you do this other poet he said well what do you what do you do um, for your main job and i said i don't this is what i do and he wept of course being italian so he he wept because he couldn't believe it and i think you know that this well, he couldn't he the, couldn't believe that you could just be he couldn't believe that you you know you have to be an academic as well as a poet or you have to be a teacher as well as a poet and and the uk at the moment is is supporting a lot of full-time uh, people in poetry, which I think is really, really exciting. As um, uh, we go to verse, I still think verse has been hugely unpopular for a very long time. It's either been silly greetings cards and people seeing it as being this very, very unfashionable, naff kind of thing. And... Um, and everybody's been writing in in a, in a much uh, in in the different more popular current styles of verse. And I mean, if you looked at it from the perspective of uh, contemporary art, etc., you know, you would have uh, um, the uh, you know or the young British artists or the, the the I would say that the pinnacle of contemporary art versus somebody doing watercolors. That's that would be the way that verse has been seen in previous times. But for me, I just don't care. You know, I, I just love it. But then, then we we are. You cannot ignore the also the the elephant in the room, which of course is uh, hip hop verse, and that's been expanded. And there are, you know, there are there's a there's a huge wave of new brilliant uh, hip hop uh, um, rhyme writers coming through who are actually starting to address cultural issues um, beyond. Um, uh, the, the traditional areas of recent time gangster rap. There's a lot of new mm. stuff coming through. So, so I think if you say that there's always been great verse um, in African American based um, live poetry rap, as far as what I'm doing, which is based much more in a sort of European tradition, it's been hugely unfashionable, and I don't really care one way or another whether <laughs> whether, whether I, I just I'm just going to carry on doing. You're going to you do know? it. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. That's the way to be. <laughs> I was nodding wildly over there talking because I, I love rap and I always explain to people I, it's poetry. Um, so people like you know Kendrick Lamar who just exactly yeah, yeah, amazing. There He's go. a poet. Well, actually, it's so interesting bringing up poetry, lyrics, poetry and music. They are there to complement each other, right? And I know you were saying, Mary, you 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 write lyrics as well. It's a completely different thing, but 
I'm thinking of an artist like Kate Tempest, for example, who is a poet and a musical artist as well and, ma and marries them. You know, they, are, they can live side by side very happily, I think. Well, they can. I mean, I think. I mean, this is the interesting thing with with what you what happens again within a, a European tradition of poetry, and somebody's really, really good, and a record company or whoever will say, "Okay, listen, why don't we put this to music?" Or the person decides for themselves they're going to put it to music. Then, the moment the music and the verse comes together, you are going to eventually run into hip hop, which is a, a monster. I mean, it's 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 a it's a, it's a global striding. Thing, which is just is colossal. It's bigger than anything else music-wise in the world, or it's huge anyway. And and so then eventually you run into that as as a as a as a person from a you know British, I guess I don't know what you'd say, Anglo-Saxon background. And it gets to that point where you look at it and you say, well, does it really measure up to hip hop? And it's very difficult to do that, yeah. I think. But I guess it's still valid in itself, you know. Yeah. But uh, let's not forget. Gilbert and Sullivan, of course. <laughs> Let's not. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh. <laughs> um, so what are you into then, Cecilia? What have you been listening to? Kendrick, I imagine, is I love high Kendrick on the list. Lamar, yeah, yeah. I've always loved Eminem. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I listen to mostly rap and hip-hop, but if not Beyonce. Of, of course. <laughs> well, we, my, the thing that really got me was the uh, first time I heard was uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, The that's, Message. That's the... And oh, that yeah. hit me like something I've never experienced before. And the idea of somebody telling this epic story in verse with beats behind it, which actually was moving and gave a, uh, a cultural portal into, into somebody else's life was, you know, just, just astonishing. So I think that was a, a major influence. And yeah. so. I find myself going back into sort of early to mid 90s rap and hip-hop at the moment stuff that at the golden time age. i didn't yeah golden age yeah and at the time remembering that maybe some of my classmates had these cds you know mm. but i never that wasn't my thing i was i was a bit more brit pop and yeah and you know a bit rockier so going back and discovering the early albums by mm. some of these amazing artists and thinking this is 
this is so good. Yeah. Well, this is the this is the thing that's happening at the moment, and we've t- done the, the the Kendrick Lamar reference is that you had this period, the golden age of hip hop, where you had psychedelic hip hop, you had jazz hip hop, you so you had Della Soul, you had Diggable Planets, you had all these amazing artists doing all these things, and then suddenly it just seemed to fall under the the, the dead hand of gangster rap, and it seemed that that was going to always be the thing. And now you've got Kendrick Lamar, who's come out and he's from a sort of radical jazz family mm. as well, and he links back to that to that past and pulls jazz back into hip hop and brings also social commentary back into it and revolutionary thinking back into it so hip hop has kind of it's got that uh, um, that kind of ideological mojo back working again and that's really really exciting it's to the book off now <gasps> This is where you each have come with a book that you love, that you think everyone should read, and you're going to pitch it at us. Um, You have three minutes each. You can use all three if you wish, or you can bring it in under if you feel you've said all you need to say. Um, No no strict rules there other than when you get to three minutes, I'm either going to ring you out with that, (laughs) or I'm going to honk you out with that. Um, So... Uh, Cecilia, would you like the bell or the horn? The bell. It's a bit gentler. It's a bit gentler, yeah. And Murray, would you like to go first or second? Um, I think I'm going to go... First. He's going to go first. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> he had to think about it, though. He was <laughs> um, so just before we start, Murray, tell us the book that you have chosen to uh, put in the book off. Uh, it's The Last Moogle by William Dalrymple. You have three minutes on the clock then, sir, and uh, it's over to you to tell us about your choice. OK. Mizra Abu Zafar Sikuruddin Muhammad Badur Shah Zafar was the name of the last Mughal. And he lived in Delhi and he lived in the Red Fort, which we probably all heard about. And so what we have is is the chronicling by William Dalrymple of the last period of this man's reign and his life in uh, reflected by or in, in parallel with what was going on politically within India and the Raj at the time. And so he was the last of the great Mughals. It's an incredible palace, which is almost incomprehensibly fabulous, um, full of uh, Sufi poets, enormous amounts of, uh, of, of family and vast, vast, almost unimaginable levels of wealth. Um, he's slowly being pinned back by a British empire that in the, uh, the I guess, the... the the back end of the emancipation of slavery had decided that, of course, all people were equal, but some people were more equal than others. And in the case of the Indian people, the British Raj saw these people as being more like little children who needed to be Christianized, possibly, at some point. And they had slowly pegged back the power of this Mughal, so he was really a puppet for the British. And... Um, and there was a point where um, the famous issue with the Martini rifle, where the uh, where the Hindus and the Muslim soldiers had to bite the cartridge, and it had pig and beef fat in it, and they saw this as symbolic of the British trying to destroy their religion, and they they revolted in the Indian rebellion, and they. The troops from all over the country rallied to the last Mughal emperor, who was an old man by this point and didn't really understand what was going on. Terrible crimes against the British were done. Women, children, raped, murdered, all sorts of stuff happened. And uh, um, and more and more Indians came, uh, um, more Indian soldiers came, trying to take back their country. And they ended up in a pitched battle with the, Brit- the British and the British 
held on. And then there was a terrible, terrible um, uh, uh, um, revenge from the British, which ended up in even worse slaughter right the way across India. And this is the story of all of that. And they found this archive somewhere in India, and it's got everything from these tiny, tiny wafer-thin little bits of paper which were sewn into the hems of spies. So William Dalrymple has taken the entire archive, and of course the British Empire at that time uh, uh, held on to every single bit of uh, information document. And so he got all of that, and he has created a masterpiece. And it's a very, very big, thick chunky book but once you get 20 pages into it you start to think to yourself I'm so glad this book's so thick because I really want to read it forever oh very good that was excellent and brought look at that with five seconds to spare wow. as well Murray the pressure is on Ooh, excellent wow I must admit I um I was I was fascinated and drawn in to your pitch there not knowing anything about that really I mean it's just the, the, the further um ideas around um what was done by the British Empire, what it represented, what it did, the people that suffered under it, the ideas that it, it had about itself. So I'm, I'm, but I'm pitching again. So. Yes, you are. <laughs> you are. Don't take any more seconds. Um, that was my fault for asking you another question. Um, and Cecilia, what book are you going to tell us about? The Time Traveller's Wife by ah. Audrey Niffenegger. Right. You've got three minutes on the clock then. It's over to you. So, The Time Traveller's Wife is about a woman named Claire who has a husband with a very rare genetic disorder, which means he jumps back and forth through time. He's a time traveller and it is completely, he has no control over it. He can, oh, I'm panicking. He um, arrives wherever, if for, you know, in the future, in the past, naked. He's completely defenceless and so he has to learn how to defend himself. He has to learn how to pick pockets and pick locks and most of which he's learned from an older version of himself. So he's teaching himself how to survive. It's about Claire who, it's about the two of them, but Claire spends a lot of her life waiting for him, worrying about him. And it's kind of a metaphor for how in a relationship there's a lot of distance and we can go our separate ways while living together at the same time. So they first meet when she's six years old and he's 28 years old. And um, he tells her all the dates that he's going to visit her so she can have clothes and food ready for him. And she grows up and he inadvertently lets slip that they end up getting married. So she goes through her whole life knowing that this is the man she's going to marry. The last meeting they have is when she's 18 and she doesn't meet him again until she's 20. So he's a librarian and she meets him in the library and she has known him her whole life and yet he has never met her before. So it's such, it's real twisty and unusual. So he then goes back to her childhood and starts meeting her at the age of when he's 28 um, they get married um, because because of his genetic disorder, she's unable to carry a child because her child keeps leaving her womb. So he gets a vasectomy. Um, however, a young Henry um, meets her and they manage to conceive a child. The child has the same abilities or skills or whatever it is that her father has. Um, and she's able to jump back and forth through time, but she has more control over it. So it's less dangerous. Um, but he, before she is born, the father meets her when she's 10 years old and he learns that he will pass away when she's five. So they know that he has until the age of 43. So the countdown is on. Um, before he dies, he writes a note to his wife, which she receives when he's dead, um, to stop waiting for him. She spent her whole life waiting for him. And, she know and he describes a moment where they'll meet when she's older. So she spends her whole life waiting for him 
And I'm not going to give away the whole book, but one of the final scenes is she's an 82-year-old woman and she sees him for the last time when he's 43. And that's the moment she's been waiting for her whole life. So it's this, it's kind of a, it's a science fiction-y, romantic, dark um, love story that I recommend to everyone. <laughs> Am I out of time? You've got 10 seconds. Read it. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. As we were saying, oh, I panicked. You hit your stride. Yeah, you really, you really got into that. That was fabulous. I loved it, and you know what? It's just so moving. I ugly cried. You know, when I finished that book because, um, oh, and I meant to say it in my last ten seconds, but it's kind of like the sixth, the sixth sense. You know that movie? Once you see it and you know what happens at the end, you want to watch it again, knowing what you know. Mm. So it's got that effect that once you know what happens at all these different points, you want to go back, knowing what you know. Now you're pitching again. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I thought, well, if you can do it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> You've both got a little bit extra, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you were talking about it there, um, it just brought it all back. I mean, I haven't mm. read it in, in years, but it, it sort of brought it all back and yeah. I was remembering, gosh, that is such a good book. It's so it? you smart. Know, like, so, it's yeah. so smart, I think. Mm. Um, Mario, I was fascinated about how William has, has patched together the book from things as, as little as you know, notes sewn into yeah, people's yeah, clothes yeah. and things, yeah. actually taking, you know, the research. That That's wow. that's deep, deep research, isn't it? Astonishing. And, and I don't, I can't remember the story of how they actually found the archive just sitting there mm. in some, in some uh, government building in, 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 I don't even think it was in, in Delhi, but uh, remarkable. The other amazing thing about it was that they, that at the end, that the, the concept of the madrasas, the madrasas at the Red Fort were, uh, you know, equal to Oxford and Cambridge, the high seats of learning, and and it says one of his 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 points at the end is that uh, that um, these seats of learning were then radicalised and driven north up into what's now Pakistan and over into Afghanistan, and arguably can say that they become the basis of the jihadi madrasas, which have produced. Al Qaeda and mm-hmm. uh, the Taliban, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and all of that very, very hardline thinking, and that was all down to the British just de- destroying the idea of destroying Oxford and Oxford University in one fell swoop, and just leaving a lot of angry people behind. Gosh. You mentioned the sort of sixth sense mm. thing about wanting to reread it. I wonder how many times have you read this book? Do you think? Uh, do you know what? I want to read it again now after this. I haven't read it as many times as I, I as I should. I so know you sold I, it to yourself. Yeah, I have. Actually. That's a good sign, actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, even if I lose today, I've won. I, I will be the overall winner. But it's, um, yeah, you know, it's about, I suppose, love, loss, and free will. And apart from, you know, there's other existential questions about um, life and time, and, and you know, how we can play with time and play with our time. Yeah. There's kind of that chicken and egg uh, question as well. Like, who meets who first? You know, when I was reading, I was trying to figure out. So she meets him when she's six years old um, for the first time. And yet they meet again for his first time when she's 20 years old. And there's just so many moments in that where you're thinking, I suppose, that question of free will. Who who has made it happen? In, if him telling her that they're going to marry, has he just made that? I suppose it questions fate and destiny yeah, and yeah, are yeah. we in control of our lives or... Um, so there's a gazillion different things going on, not the same as your book at all, but um, just it raises a lot of questions, I think, and it makes you think also about your own life. You Do know? you look at time differently now? Yes, well, I'm obsessed with time right. and the bending of time uh-huh. and, and the slowing down of time and um, how, if we can control our time a lot more, you know, and that and different dimensions and are they different versions of ourselves and 
<laughs> I'm, you know, I'm really, really interested in all that. So this book is perfect for me. It doesn't answer anything, but it asks a lot of questions. <laughs> but that's good to get you thinking. Yeah. And like you said, you know, to, to be thinking differently about time or just, just sort of aware of it. I because, suppose. you know, there's that theory that there is another Earth. Is that modal? Is that what that's called? I don't know. Somebody was talking to me about modal realities the other day. Yeah, that there's different versions of ourselves. And everything that you imagine to happen has happened. I love that. Yeah. So just that there's another another Earth, almost identical? Yes. um, And and sort of go... Come on, Joe. Surely you know that. No, I I don't know about (laughs) this. You know... (laughs) I feel like I should now. Kind of different. I don't even know how to explain it, but because um, I don't know enough about it now. <laughs> There's that movie. What's that movie? The 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 the, the, the other Earth appears. It's oh, studying. No. It's closer and closer. It's a really good indie sci-fi. And there's the same people, same. Yeah. So there's another version of yourself on that planet. Really yeah. So it's based film. on so that us three, concept. Us three are having this conversation in, yeah, in another Earth? Or? Different paths that we've gone down. Life can go in a different right. direction, all based on these little moments that if you didn't go that way, you went that way. And... Um, I suppose it's the bending of time theory. Mm. This is another podcast as well, well isn't it? And then, you know, even... then we put clocks everywhere yeah. to, try and, yes. to try and give ourselves an idea that we are actually controlling time. Well, we're yeah. not controlling time at all. And mm. I mean, from people, um, I mean, I remember when my my children were born, the idea that, that that moment just before the birth, an hour can feel like a week. And then afterwards, suddenly it's six months later. And how did that happen? Yeah, and all these kind yeah. of crazy, particularly yeah, around and why birth. Why can one minute feel longer than another yeah. minute? That you know, yeah. And how and can we be in control of that? There's a lot of theories on how you can slow down time and um, meditation yeah. is quite good for that. That yes, yeah. yeah. Or um, painting and decorating. <laughs> <laughs> Jigsaw puzzles. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, blimey! I mean, two incredibly different, so different books two brilliant pictures I, I absolutely love the sound of yours Mari you've made me want to read it again Cecilia um, gosh impossible to pick really uh, and we only do this at the end as an excuse for you know me to do this umming and erring and, and you two to sell a book to us really and I, I think I'm going to go back and, and read The Time Traveller's Wife and I'm definitely going to check out this book Murray, because I feel like immersing myself in a bit of history I have no real knowledge of and actually it sounds like getting taking so much more away from it um so I I definitely want to go and check out this book based on I've got to pick one based on the chat that followed and about time I think I'm going to take the time traveler's wife (laughs) and don't look don't look forlorn at me You knew you knew that there had to be a, a, a winner. You just wanted the quicker read. <laughs> so really, many, I said it's a really thick. How book. many pages is it? Just it. out of interest. Oh, yeah. I think it's going to be getting into four hundred. Uh, maybe maybe more. Five hundred. Five hundred. Is yeah. that large print or very small? <laughs> so I don't think it's more than six hundred. Okay. You're trying it's to bigger. You're trying to sort of like play <laughs> it down <laughs> so I'm not put off now. <laughs> what's What's next for both of you? I mean, obviously the the, the books have just been published now, so I, I guess it's. Uh, up till Christmas and and into the new year, these are the books that you're going to be talking about, Cecilia, taking raw, out and about and doing literary yep. events and things. Yep, I'm I am traveling the world. I'm going to Guadalajara next, um, oh, wow. but also working on Roy as a TV series, um, which is exciting. So we're currently writing that and developing that and working with Nicole Kidman ah. and um, made up stories who and they both worked together on Big Little Lies before. So this in the, in the next few weeks, we're writing the first few episodes and. Um, Written by the fabulous people who created uh, Glow on Netflix and Orange is the New Black. 
Um, wow, Liz Blahive and Carly Mensch. So yeah, that's that's, that's kind really of exciting. my immediate. So exciting. So that's what I'm doing now. How do you? How's the TV series? If you can, if you can tell us, how's that going to pan out? With yeah, the it's unusual then? because well, I suppose the only thing I can say, which I probably shouldn't say, but you know, like Black Mirror has a different story. Mm. You know, for each episode, different characters, and that that will be so the it'll structure. be a bit like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good way of describing it. You did an event recently with a, a very good friend of mine, John Boyne. Yes, I have John. And um, he's already put me to shame because. Um, when he had you as a guest, he pulled out two small bottles of Moe and straws and straws to share. And I've <laughs> I've provided you with a bottle of water, so I apologise that oh. I didn't have the same hospitality as okay. John. <laughs> I had a lot of fun, thank you. <laughs> uh, and Murray, for you, I, I guess this book just come out, and it's something a bit new for you. Are you going to be taking it out and about? Well, there's all sorts of interesting developments happening with it, and I've just finished uh, yesterday re- uh, recorded it with um, producer and composer and jazz musician of the year, Aaron Ghosh. Uh, oh, wow. So we're turning it into an album, which is really exciting. He's written a special score oh, for it, and it's, uh, it's had a arts council money to turn it into a, a show. And I'm talking to a fairly big movie producer about the idea of doing it as a, an animated thing as well. So I'm pleased to say that it will have a life beyond uh, its beautiful current form <laughs> excellent and what's the show that's going to be a one-off performance it's going to be just now? going to be me doing it live with, um, with music with with music and possibly one other performer doing stuff and hopefully doing it sort of mid-scale maybe to sort of 400 audiences of 400 yeah, and right. seeing where it goes from there so oh, it should fantastic. be a lot of fun Oh, gosh, look at the, the next the next six months are mapped out for both of you, it seems, <laughs> isn't it? Um, the Mystery of Rattlesham Mumps is published by Scotland Street Press and Raw is published by HarperCollins. Both books are absolutely fabulous. I can't recommend them highly enough. They're out now, so go and add them to your shelves. Cecilia, Murray, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. It's been thank a pleasure. You. And pleasure. Uh, best of luck with these two. We'll, we'll see you again soon for the um, modal extra earth yeah. podcast with Brian Cox. We could already be there. <laughs> Yeah, we're doing it already on another planet. (laughs) Thank you both. Thank you. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.